Welcome back to the Glass Ceilings podcast, where we explore stories of resilience and empowerment in the face of workplace challenges. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Scott, a seasoned professional who has navigated the complexities of corporate leadership and faced adversity with courage and grace. As a former VP at a global insurance carrier, Scott brings a wealth of experience and insight into the realities of workplace dynamics and the importance of personal and the importance of personal resilience. Hey, Scott, thank you so much for joining me on the Glass Ceilings podcast. Chrissy, thank you for having me. So Scott and I had a conversation. We met over TikTok and we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago and just kind of, you know, bonded over the the insanity of what corporate America is. And I said, hey, I would love a male perspective and Obviously, this is not a situation where Scott is going to speak for all men, just like I don't speak for all women. But I think that the conversation that we had was incredibly emotionally intelligent. And I would just love to get his perspective because I think in corporate America, we tend to put a gender to the situations that we're in. We say that, you know, all of the dick bosses end up being men. And I do have a lot of comments where women are saying, well, women on women, you know, that happens. And I have comments where, you know, it is a man and he's saying, well, I had a horrible female boss. And so uh, it's kind of unfortunate, right? I wish we all, we all didn't have this in common, but I just would love your perspective. And so that's why I wanted to invite you on this podcast. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. And now the world knows that I'm addicted to TikTok as well. And <laughs> although my algorithm is probably... The most boring algorithm ever. Uh, it's all business, politics, and real estate. But um, obviously, Same. when I came across, yeah, right. But when I came across, um, when you slid into my algorithm, um, and I came across your content, I was, um, I was one really impressed, and, and two, needed to reach out to you because, you know, I think there's definitely truth that uh, the work trauma, you know, in corporate America or really anywhere is real. And it it affects men, it affects women, it's affected me. And, and that's, you know, kind of why I, uh, I reached out to you. And, uh, you know, it's something that I don't think men in general talk about openly. And it's something that, um, that I think that they should, I think people should be open to expressing how they feel. And, uh, if we're going to be better in corporate America and we're going to do uh, better things, we're going to be more innovative. We have to, uh, we have to treat people with, with respect, but we also have to know right from wrong and how to motivate people. And there isn't a one solution fits all. You know, before the podcast, Chris, we were talking a little bit about uh, the fear tactic, right? And, you know, there's, there's study after study that shows just in general um, you know, you, uh, people, people are motivated not by fear, um, but they're motivated by either, uh, we'll call it inclusion or, uh, they're motivated by, uh, being more uplifting and compliments. And so, uh, but you know, of course, different things motivate different people, but that is why I wanted to reach out to you. It was, it, it was, it was great having the initial conversation and that, yeah, work, work trauma is real. And I, I've certainly, I've certainly been through it. It's, you know, I definitely want to touch on that a little bit more, but to pull back a little bit, can you describe, you know, what your role was in corporate America and then a little bit about what you do now? So look, I, look, I started my career in a strategy management consulting and worked my way uh, from consulting to, uh, to the insurance world. And my, uh, my, my last corporate America job, uh, I was working for a really large insurance carrier. Um, uh, working uh, for, uh, you know, working in the leadership team. And my job was to manage uh, our claims vendor relationships, uh, which so claims is a very big part of of an insurance company, of course, that's where a lot of our money is spent. Um, And and so managing our uh, claims relationships. And so uh, it was, it was certainly uh, a good experience from a uh, from a learning standpoint, but um, but certainly a tough experience as well. I think that insurance in the insurance world is very much um, not as an, 
as evolved of a culture, as you see potentially across tech or kind of the smaller businesses, right? And it is very much still a boys club at that top. You're 100% right. And, and you know, it's, it's very interesting. I think there was a, uh, it would have been in 2022, I believe, there was a House subcommittee on finance that uh, looked at insurance companies just in general and diversity and inclusion. And uh, it, it's, there, there's, a, there's a lot of work a lot of carriers need to do, um, not, just, not, just on, uh, not just on race and gender, but neurodiversity as well, mm-hmm. uh, people with different abilities. So uh, I, there, there's certainly a lot of opportunity for that space. Um, absolutely. You know, it's crazy. Speaking of DE&I, diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, the first budget cuts for Zoom, Meta, and Google was cutting their entire DE&I team. And I made a couple TikToks about it. And I was talking about how, imagine if you felt like that was the safest place to go to in the corporate corporation, because we, we all know the HR is for the employer. Yes. And I don't say you know, I'm not saying don't go to HR because again, I'm just saying have your ducks in a row before you go to HR. HR is a tactic and the tactic is to make sure it's noted in a corporate binding fashion, which would be going to HR. But I don't necessarily think people should go to HR to actively get their solutions solved because I don't think that's going to be the outcome. But for a lot of us that fall under the DEI category, Seeing that companies are cutting that budget first is really kind of unsafe um, in the feeling of unsafe, not necessarily literally unsafe, but it does feel very unsafe in corporate America to say, hey, this is the first area that we're going to cut budgets. You know, it almost feels fake, right? Like they were just faking it all along that they cared about that. And then as soon as, as soon as they had to pay up or, you know, they just ended up cutting it. And that's it's really crappy because um, I spent my last year and a half in corporate America building a digital health product that I had. The goal is to sell through DE&I. It was for menopausal women. And, you know, menop- uh, there's not a lot of information on women going through menopause. Doctors get one hour of training in the entirety of their career. Okay. One hour of training on menopause, um, including OBGYNs. So, yeah. yeah, so there, there's a lot that we don't know about it. And so the goal is to bring awareness to it. And yeah, if we don't have DE&I to go through, we're not going to get as much traction in companies. I mean, that's how Maven and Carrot, which are both fertility benefits came in. They went through the DE&I. So it's just crazy to see the level of um, the lack of support in corporate America, I think. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and, and look, I don't know if that's every company, uh, you know, but certainly with I would imagine with publicly traded companies, um, you're focusing on the bottom line, and you know, and, and just as a generalization, right? Um, you, you're probably going to cut first what is not driving up the stock price, right? And and, and I don't want to say driving up the stock price in general. It's it's a direct correlation, right? So sales drive up in theory, and Mm -hmm. profitability. Now, I think you would argue, and I would argue too, that um, if you want a world-class organization, you need to bring in diverse individuals and have diverse thought and new ideas. And you're not going to innovate and you're not going to change anything with just the same people repeating the same things. So uh, long-term, not a good strategy, um, but you know, sometimes short term, uh, you know, companies do what they need to do. It is interesting, right? Because I think that whatever that saying is that I always mess up, but it's like you cut off the nose to save the face. And it's about not thinking longer than one quarter out, right? Which when you're a publicly traded company, you are definitely always thinking of your stock prices. And it's so interesting because, um, I had a conversation with my dad. My dad is CFO, he is corporate. I was joking that, you know, I was literally raised in an office. Like we would go to work with him because I didn't, we didn't have anyone to watch us. And he was a single dad. And 
I was in his office from 5 a.m. until like 7 p.m. And I played with paper in the fax machine. And right, some kids grow up in a restaurant, okay? I grew up in his office and he is a CFO. He manages probably 40 people. And I said, I said, hey, do you remember in 2008, you know, I was going into college in 2008. And I said, remember in 2008, you had to lay off like 50 people. And I remember it being incredibly hard for you. He said, yeah. And I said, well, knowing that we're stepping into another recession right now, and it might look a little bit different than 2008, but how are you preparing? And he said, well, we're just feeling it out. And I said, okay, I understand that. But in my mind, and keep in mind, his office is mandatory work from office, right? So I said, why? I said, I'm going to give you a crazy idea here that you're not going to like. <laughs> Typical father-daughter stuff. And I said, why don't you have your employees go remote and use that office space for inventory? You know, you're an import-export business. Inventory is worth so much. And he said, no, honey, you don't get it. These people won't work if you're not hounding them. And I'm, and that, that message right there is like, oh, okay. And it's that reminder that from a general, general, from a generational standpoint, I don't know if we're all ever going to see eye to eye, right. right? Because I genuinely don't believe that someone ever has to tell me to do my job. And maybe that's why I'm such a good freelancer is I can create my own problems all day, every day. I can create my own problems to solve. Don't worry. But this lack of autonomy or this lack of trust in corporate America that I have seen from my managers, and this is a conversation that I have before I even get hired is, hey, I don't do well with micromanagement. How do you manage? And, you know, I think it's about previously before we had this knowledge, I went into job and I said, I'll do whatever you need me to do. Right. I'm just grateful to be here. Right. And now it's such a different conversation um, after I think you work in that toxic workplace. And same with you, you know, if you were to walk back into corporate America, it's like, would you change your approach? Would you have a different conversation with your boss before you kind of got that job? Yes. <laughs> um, and no, and look, you're right. And, and, you know, the way just before I answer that question and kind of give a little bit more of my story, I'll, I'll, I'll answer the work from home, you know, versus, uh, you know, versus in office. I, I, I personally, uh, I'm an in-office person. I like to be in the office mostly because I like to see people and socialize a little bit and, and, and build that camaraderie, which I think is tough to do, uh, to, to do remotely. But in terms of performance and, um, you know, executing on, on goals, listen, you get your job done. I don't care if you do it at a Starbucks. I don't care if you do it at home. I don't care if you do it in an office. And um, I've managed teams that have been all over the United States or even all over the world uh, in my in my career. And I don't know if somebody's in the office or not. You know, half 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 the time we're on different time zones as well. Like, I have no idea if they're if it, you know where they're working. Nowadays, it's so easy to get a virtual background. Anyway, you could think that someone's in the office when you're on a virtual call. But what you do know is if they get something done or if they don't get something done, if they meet a deadline or mm -hmm. if they miss a deadline. And that is how I think and how I hope that the uh, the world is is changing a little bit when it comes to corporate America is more is less about being in the office at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. and leaving at five and more about getting your job done. Um, yeah. So, so to answer the second question that you asked, I guess I should um, kind of give a background of of maybe my story a little bit, um, and then and then maybe some things I would have done differently. So, uh, when I when I left one large insurance carrier, I was recruited to go to another insurance carrier, um, and uh, it was a, a heck of an opportunity to. Um, to, to, to grow my career and to, we'll call it, climb the corporate ladder, if you will. And uh, when I was being recruited, uh, I had written a almost, not, not so much a contract, but written to HR and written to the recruiter an email that said, conflict check. You know, um, I have a couple, a few things that I do on the side. First, uh, 
I practice real estate. So I practice real estate on the side. It's a good way to make some extra money. Um, long story short, when I got married in 2011, I inherited $200,000 of student loans and I wanted to get those paid off as quickly as possible. And so real estate was a great way to do that while climbing the corporate ladder. Um, and then, um, and, and then, you know, I was able to get those paid off before, before having kids. Um, my oldest daughter has special needs. Uh, and so, uh, real estate was also a really good opportunity to make some money on the side to maybe fund some of her medical bills, her tutors, all of that. And so, um, so number one, I do real estate. Please confirm that's okay. Number two, uh, I'm on the board of trustees for the William syndrome association. That's what my daughter has. She has what's called William syndrome. Uh, and number three, I am uh, a trustee for my local township uh, where I live in, in Illinois. It's um, it's the social safety net of the organization uh, of the community, and uh, we oversee the food pantry and um, you know provide uh, services to those in need. Um, and uh, I got confirmation. Uh, verbally from my boss who I would be working for. And then I followed that up in writing with, with the HR and recruiting and everything was approved. So all good. Um, you know, fast forward, my, my boss ends up resigning maybe four or five months after I, uh, after I, I start and I end up working for uh, for his boss, who happens to you know the the, the head of the department, um, which again was a, a fantastic opportunity for me, and um, you know I thought things were going pretty well. I never had uh, uh, coaching or performance issues uh, per se. You know, there's definitely in in corporate America, you're always going to have hard conversations, um, and you're, you're not always going to see eye to eye, which is which is okay because you know, conflict, conflict is not a bad thing, especially if it's healthy conflict where everybody's trying to do the right thing for the organization, um, you know, and, and, and having a different approach. But um, I'll never forget, on, uh, I'm, I'm in the office uh, in uh, November of 2022, um, and it's maybe a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. And I get a call from our head of HR, uh, who you know, also works for, for my boss and who I thought had a good relationship with. And, or I get a, a, a team's message saying, Scott, can you talk? And so, of course. And, you know, we jump on a, a WebEx and employee relations is there. And uh, they said, Scott, we'd, we'd like to talk to you about your extracurricular activities. And so I said, I said, sure, what's, what's going on? Well, we want to talk about real estate. Now, I should mention, you know, I have two computers, right? I have a work computer for my corporate job, and then I had a real estate computer for real estate. And then, you know, when I was doing work during the day for my corporation, it was, you know, like work computer and at night or weekends, that's when I was doing real estate, using a real estate computer, right? So never wanted to commingle anything, never wanted to do anything that would create a conflict or you know, anything like that. Plus I had approval. And so they asked me about the deals that I had done. And, you know, it's funny because I think three of the deals that year were done with family members of mine that I was helping out. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I did this deal, this deal, this deal, this deal. Um, they asked me about all of my clients and I thought nothing of it. And I'm like, yeah, this person, uh, was a friend of mine. This was a cousin. This was my brother. This was my other brother, you know, and, and at the end of the call, employee relations says, well, we're going to need to suspend you with pay. And I, I, I was like, what? You know, and, and I, I don't think I've ever been in, in, in trouble before. I says, is this, is this performance-based? Did I, did I do something? Nope, not performance-based. This is, you know, this is part of our investigation process. And I said, but this was approved. You know, I had this in writing that was approved before I, I started. And you know, sure enough, you know, I said, leave your computer here and leave your, your phone, your, you know, your work phone there. Um, and we'll contact your personal phone tomorrow and feel free to send us the email that confirmed that you could do real estate and all these things, which they had to begin. They, they, I guarantee they had because so, but anyway, so I you know, got on the train, obviously I'm like distraught and I'm thinking what the heck is going on. 
you know, and I, uh, I resend them the email. The next morning, I get a call from our, uh, from our HR leader and employee relations. And they send me, and, and I should mention, I didn't sleep that night. I'm freaking out. This is my livelihood. This is, this is, this is my money. This is my job. Um, this is my reputation. Um, and so the next morning, they, they're nice enough to call me pretty quickly. And I think because they saw that it was approved before I had started, they, uh, they call me and say, hey, we need you to sign this contract. Uh, this contract says you will no longer practice real estate. Now, again, I practice real estate for, uh, one, it's something I love doing, um, but two, for extra money uh, for my family. And they say, we need you to sign this saying you will no longer do real estate. And I said, okay, well, what, you know, what happens while I, you know, review it and whatnot? Well, we're going to keep you suspended until you sign it. And I said, okay, well, what will you tell my team? And I'll, and I'll never forget this. And, and this, I, it, like, I remember it like it's yesterday. They said, we'll tell your team you've been suspended and you've, you're, you've, you're being investigated. And I said, can you tell them it's for real estate? Because one, I have this on my LinkedIn. Everybody knows I do it. Uh, two, I had approval in writing. Three, I've talked to colleagues about it. Uh, so can you tell them it's for real estate? No, we are going to tell them that you are suspended. You are under investigation. And I said, but that's going to make it seem like sexual harassment or something like that. It's terrible for my reputation. Like, I, I can't do it. Well, feel free to, you know, feel free to take your time, but that's what we're going to tell them. Uh, you know, but when you sign it, we'll reinstate you immediately. And I signed it, right? I like signed it immediately. I freaked out. Right. Like this is I don't want people thinking that you know, like how, how is a leader of a new department, you know, of, of, of a department that has, you know, like three separate teams within that department. Like, how do you go back to leading after you've been suspended and can't say why and can't tell people why? You know, that was it was at the time when I worked there, you, you had you weren't allowed to say why you were suspended, right? And so how do you how do you gain the trust of the people that you're leading? You know, and how do you get the best performance out of them? How do you like and, and so that from then on it just went downhill. But I knew my performance was still pretty good because I got a, not only my full bonus, I got more than I was supposed to get for my full bonus. Um but you know after that uh, after that incident I think um there was there was a lot of, we'll call it harassment, a lot of negative comments uh, to me from, from my boss, almost trying to, you know, try to get me to quit, if you will, um, is, is how it, I felt. It seems it like, it seems like they, based on their actions, they tried to push you out, but it doesn't logically make sense because they just lost your boss. You got moved into a new position. Who else was going to manage that team? So I'm not really understanding what their kind of like their prerogative was with even getting into that. I don't know. <laughs> of course, I don't know. Um, you know, and, and it's interesting because before I started, you know, we talk about things that I would have done differently. You know, there were, I think in six years, I think there were two or three people in the role that I had. And so the, the, the tenure of, of, the job I was in uh, was a very short tenure, uh, and it, at least that's what it seemed. Should have been a red flag, and then the turnover at that at the company and the turnover at that level was pretty pretty high. I mean, so my boss left, and then a new head of operations came in. I, I didn't work for her, but I respect the hell out of her. She's an unbelievable woman. But uh, she had left right after. I had left, um, you know, there, there, there were a lot of people that are part of the organization, uh, as I understand it, um, we all said pretty similar things in our exit interviews. So, um, you know, the company, the company will decide what they want to do with that information. You bring up a really good point and something that I watched the other day 
on this beloved TikTok that we're both obsessed with. Um, And it was how exit interviews actually don't make the changes that they make you believe they do, you know? So I was brutally honest in my exit interview when I left my, my VP of marketing job and told them, you know, the words that I didn't tell the world, which was, I'm not a culture fit. (laughs) And, you know, it was, it was nothing because I don't know if it's just, there's too much power or it's too hard to kind of swap these people out in my specific position. I was literally being interviewed by the man I was talking about. So like, obviously that wasn't, no one was going to solve that for me, but in your position, it's interesting, you know, it's, I, I love analogies, right? And it's like, if 10 people, you know, drove by and they didn't see the stop sign because it was hiding behind a bush and you complained to the city, Hey, you can't see the stop sign because 10 people keep driving by it, you know? And then the city just ignores it. It's like, it's interesting that corporations continue to ignore the blatant toxicity of upper management and they don't do anything about it. And I have so many personal stories from female coworkers that worked at huge companies that are like, oh yeah, my boss's boss's boss was horrible to me. Um, And I reported him and I talked to everyone and nothing happened to him. And the only reason that he actually got fired is because he got caught doing something that was so blatant, they could not look away from it. Right. And it's like, the analogy is they're waiting for that car crash, but they're not going to fix that bush hiding this. And it's like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, And so I would love to know how did this experience impact you personally? You know, one of the things that you said that I thought was really interesting is you said, I never get in trouble. And it, that makes me laugh because definitely you give that personality up. Like Scott, well, okay, you are so, a real well, follower. I did, I, I did get a ticket a couple of years ago for um, following too close on a wave runner. Um, and I got Stop. a, uh, which is actually kind of crap because it was a ticket from the department of natural resources, but I was on a man-made lake. So I do want to, I did try to contest that ticket. I lost, but uh, yes, I, 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 I have rarely gotten in trouble, but yes, I did get a ticket on a way. Of course you contested the ticket. That's so funny. But no, like, so, so it was, it was, it was terrible. And and I just want to go back to real quick, the exit interview, and then I'll answer your question if that's okay. Um, You got to remember too, the, this, this, this was a clear, what happened to me. And and there were more situations where, you know, there was, we'll, we'll call it harassment in terms of, um, you know, yelling at me or, you know, talking down to me or, or whatnot. I mean, they're clear. These are corporations, right? There's clear code of conduct violations. Um, so, and in, in look, when you have an HR department, and I say, hey, it's going to look like sexual harassment and they don't say anything, you know, uh, that, you know, that's the kind of company you work for. You know that your exit interview is not going to change anything. Um, but I wanted to document as much as I could. Um, but no, how did it affect me? Oh my gosh, terrible! Obviously, I didn't sleep. Uh, that that was that was hurtful. I mean, I'll talk about the negatives. There's some positives too, by the way. But didn't sleep. Started going to therapy, which was actually again that was actually a good thing. Um, I actually think therapy was super helpful. Um, but uh, it, I think it affected my relationships at home. Um, you know, I wasn't sleeping. I was always stressed. Um, I would wake up almost in the fetal position, just wondering, what am I going to get yelled at for today? How am I going to be, you know, manipulated today? And, and I'm still working. I'm working a ton, right? I like, it never affected, I don't think my work ethic or quality of work. Um, You know, I'm still waking up at 6am. I'm still working, you know, 60, 70 hours a week. It never affected that. But um, it ate me up inside and it eventually got to a point where I really missed doing real estate. Like that was the one thing that I enjoyed doing. And I just said it, it there, I mean, there was a trigger, right. When I think 
I had a one-on-one with my boss and he asked me a question and I think he wanted a yes or no answer, but it wasn't a simple yes or no answer. And, you know, he, you know, said, you know, you're not going to like this, but I don't effing care anymore. And just, you know, starting to cuss him. And I'm just like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And so slapped on it a couple of days and decided, you know what, life's too short. I really, really miss doing real estate. I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to do it. I'm going to grow my brokerage again. And here's a little plug for Chicago-based real estate. If you're looking to buy, sell, rent, or invest, please contact me. My name's Scott. <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those things where I, I, I decided, you know what, like I was so scared to leave corporate America. And similar, Chrissy, to your story of like, you're never going to make as much money. You're never going to be as successful. You're, you're giving up this huge, you know, golden parachute. You're giving up your retirement. You're giving up all of these things. And I said, I'm going to bet on myself. You know, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to use data and analytics and do that into real estate and do real estate ethically, openly, honestly, and hopefully my clients will come and we'll be okay. And, um, and so far it's, you know, look, am I making as much money as I was in corporate America? No, I'm not. Um, am I worried about money? Yes, but I'm always worried about money. Um, but am I excited to go to work right now? Yeah. Um, am I helping people? I think I am. Um, and so I think there's been certainly a positive experience, but you know, it was, it still is. I mean, there's still, there are still times I have nightmares about what happened to me in my prior company. There's no doubt about it. You bring up a really good point with that. And so often I use the word trauma a lot and people, we normally equate trauma to war, right? It's like, we think trauma, we think soldiers, we think PTSD. And the reality is when we start thinking like that, what we do is we're comparing losses and we're saying, I can't feel this way because someone's job is actually running into live fire. And the reality or the the step underneath that is actually what is trauma in the body and what does that mean? Well, that is going into fight or flight and not being able to process it and it gets stored. Okay. So unfortunately for our brains, when someone is screaming at us at the top of our lungs and devaluing us and belittling us, unfortunately, my body also thinks I'm running into live fire. And so it is not necessarily that trauma is something that can be compared, but it is the fact of how our bodies are responding to these situations. And it's, it's heavy. Like the thing that you talked about, the nightmares. Yes. I mean, when I worked as a VP of marketing, I barely slept at that job. I mean, every day I'd wake up and I talked about this on a TikTok, but I went to therapy. I mean, I went to therapy like sometimes twice a week and she would tell me that I would need to sit in my car before I went in because we were in office and I would have to picture putting on this like this metallic suit, right? Almost like, like a suit of armor to prepare myself to. Yes. And so I would picture Iron Woman, which I don't think she's a thing, but essentially (laughs) Iron Man, but a woman. Um, And like, I would literally picture like putting this suit of armor on so I could walk in there so I could think of how to have thicker skin. So when these guys cussed at me and yelled at me and manipulated me and talked bad about me and like would purposely talk about me standing right next to my window so I could hear them, you know, it was so manipulative um, that I had to, I mean, there were so many times I cried on my lunch break that I tried to hide it because obviously no one was going to respect me. I was young you know, I was 30 years old. I was in a VP position. I was hired. I beat out men that were 20 years older than me. I didn't ask that. I was told that, you know? Um, and I was constantly reminded that I was a fourth highest paying paid employee there. So I never felt good enough. And we talk about on this podcast, I ask people what their breaking point is. And for me, my breaking, my breaking point was, um, we had 
flown in all of our agency partners. So with a direct-to-consumer e-commerce business, you know, you have a paid ads partner, an Amazon agency, and an SEO, whatever. So we had flown everyone in because we were launching a huge celebrity chef and we were figuring out, okay, we need to make sure we touch all bases here. And I'm the only female in the room. And they asked me to go up and get something out of the printer. So I walk over because apparently I'm the only one with two legs and I walk over and I get something out of the printer. And when I turn around, they had all left for lunch and they didn't invite me and I'm the VP of marketing. And so I walked outside and they're all getting in the cars and I said, Oh, Hey, where are you guys going? And my boss said, we're going to lunch. We'll be back soon. And like waved me off. And so I sat in my office and I cried and I ate my right, my chicken and rice and that I brought every day. And, um, the reality is I didn't want to go to lunch with them, but it was the fact that I was purposely left out. Um, so, you know, I felt conflicted about it and they came back and they were laughing and joking and they all had inside jokes and they just said, Hey, we're running a sale. And I said, okay. Um, so I've created a strategy that's like really like, you know, three months out uh, we can't just like run a sale. And they said, make it happen. And that was, when I said, oh, okay. I'm actually never going to be respected in this position. And like, there was so long where I tried to, I tried to vie for their attention. And then they like a, f- a flip switch. And I said, oh, actually fuck these guys. Yeah. <laughs> and that was when I was like, I'm done. So <laughs> Yeah, I would love to yeah. know, you know, you don't have to go into details, but like what your breaking point was. Yeah, well, well, so, so, yeah, so first, it, it's almost, you almost feel guilty for feeling the trauma, right? Like, because, because it's true, right? We, we have, we have a place to sleep. We have food. There are so many people in this world that don't have the opportunities we have. And, you know, to be making a good sum of money and to have, a vice president position at a fairly young age. Oh, boo hoo. Somebody's mean to you, but it is more than that. And so it's, it's one of those things where, um, I mean, I've, I've dealt with it, right. You, you almost have, what is it? It's not survivor's guilt. That's the wrong term, but it's, it's, you, you feel guilty for being upset. Stockholm syndrome. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, no, I think, I think my breaking point though, uh, it was probably pretty simple was, you know, just continuing to get yelled at um, off of, I mean, like silly things. And you could tell, I mean, you could tell the games we were playing, right? So just as an example, right? Someone could say, hey, what color is the sky? And you, you, you look up and you're like, oh, the sky is grayish blue. And then your boss is like, um, no, I'm not fucking around this time. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on the podcast, but <laughs> um, yeah, it is bluish gray, not grayish blue. You know, and, and, and so at that time, and then I'm so lucky because, you know, after continuing to get yelled at and just being miserable at home and talking to my wife and talking to my friends and having such a good support system, um, and not necessarily financially, but good support system, just emotionally, it was, you know, it was, it was time. It was funny. I, um, I told you I went, uh, I went to therapy, um, and I remember, I think my therapist asked, hey, Scott, like, what do you want to do, uh, you know, like when you retire? I said, well, uh, I'd like to do real estate, I'd like to do some local politics, maybe some consulting. And he just said, well, why don't you do that? I'm like, well, I'm not going to make any money. And he's like, maybe you won't, but I think you will. Right. You know, and you'll, 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 and every, you know, you'll be fine type thing. And that's kind of when I was like, all right. I'm going to bet on myself. I think I kept, I probably should have done it sooner. I probably should have resigned sooner, um, probably sooner after I got my bonus, but I kept on trying to like make it work and, and gather the courage. But I think it was just after the, when, when my boss said something like, I know I'm going to, you know, I I know I'm going to make you mad, but I don't care. I, I think that, I think that really said it to me is that this guy just doesn't care about me, my growth, or really even the company, because if he cared about the company, he would be acting in a different way. Uh, he cares about himself. And uh, at least that was the feeling I got. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not true. Um, but when but when you say things, I don't care how you feel, then 
I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. It's really interesting. So when we think about this aspect of psychological safety in a corporation or in your job, right? We would never be in a relationship that we didn't feel psychologically safe, right? But there is this level of expectation we have of people, our, our family, our friendships, our relationships. And then as soon as we get into work, there is this dynamic of power and we release all of our boundaries. And it's almost like we untherapize ourselves. And, you know, it's a rhetorical question because I don't necessarily know why, but it is interesting if we think about the aspect of psychological safety. So let's say the safer you are, the more quickly you're going to jump up and say, I made a mistake. How can we fix it? Right now I'm not, let's, let's assume I'm not psychologically safe in my company and I made a mistake, but I am so freaking scared of getting fired. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And then that mistake keeps growing and growing and growing. And now something that would have cost a couple hundred dollars, is going to cost a couple hundred thousand dollars because you have to go fix it down at the, at the end of the pipeline. And so I think what's, what's interesting is this thought of old school CEOs that were raised in the era of Mad Men, okay? And Mad Men is a great TV show, but that shit's not going to fly now. And so, and and they're still in this Mad Men era of, oh, I stream and I yell and I cuss and I'm, I'm just a shark and that's how I get things done. And the reality is if there's not psychological safety in your corporation, you, no one's going to come to you to admit they messed up. And the thing is that, if we move at the speed that everyone wants to move at, we are going to break things, right? Mark Zuckerberg said this about Facebook, move fast and break things. You cannot do one without the other. So if you want us to move at the speed you want us to, we will make mistakes. And the answer is not don't do, you know, you, you have to pick one or the other and it's, it's a balancing act and we're humans and we're going to make mistakes. And you own know, it though, don't, you know, or like, yeah. don't, don't be afraid to own it. And sorry, I just, I, I do want to say one thing, if that's right. <laughs> um, well, I don't know if it's going to be okay, because I'm going to kind of disagree with you on a little bit, just a little bit. You're allowed, hey, you're allowed to disagree with me. Um, so it's interesting, right? Like, so I agree that I think these corporations, there's nothing I'm going to do. They're, they're, they were around before me, they're going to be around after me, Right. I truly believe in owning your mistakes, saying what you know, saying what you don't know, not playing politics if you don't have to. I love the idea of leading by motivating and motivating by compliments and what people are doing right personally. But what I have found, I will tell you, I have found that certain people need to be motivated differently. And I think the best leaders are the ones that know who to yell at, who will kick them into gear, right? Or who to say, hey, you're doing a great job. And, you know, and so I think it's really hard for leaders to do this. And I don't think a lot of leaders do it well, especially in corporate America, but it's, you need to adjust to your audience. And I think, um, I think that's the difference between book I read about growth mindset, right? A growth mindset and a fixed mindset. Wait, Carol Dweck? Yeah. I love that book. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so to me, I, I, I think that some people actually do need to be, I, I don't want to say harassed, but like, you know, get a kick in the ass and maybe they need to be yelled at. Some people don't. But if you're going to yell at somebody who is not motivated by being yelled at, you're not going to get the most out of them and that's going to hurt the company ultimately. Yeah. So what, what I, what I'm going to synthesize the, what I think you're saying is it's almost like some people do thrive under that micromanagement and right. some people, it completely does the opposite effect. And it, it comes down to a really good question, right? Which is IQ versus EQ. So when I worked in that pharmacy, <laughs> he's golf clapping me, you guys. <laughs> no, I, I um, love it. So when, when I worked in the pharmaceutical company there, we had these things called, um, their BPs, which stood for business person, which no, it can't be that, <laughs> but they can't be that dumb. <laughs> Anyways, they were BPs and it was the BP of the, um, idea. Okay. So I worked in the new business division. So the whole job of that division was to bring outside revenue into the pharmaceutical company. So it was to bring non-pharma revenue into the pharma company. 
So my small company built a digital health product. And here's the largest issue that I saw. These people, my bosses, were so incredibly smart. IQ through the charts, okay? But they had absolutely no EQ. And because they were smart enough to come up with this idea, they were then put in a position of leadership. And they should never have been put in a position of leadership because we all completely crumbled underneath them because they were disorganized and they weren't direct. And I mean, oh my gosh, like she, she would say, my boss was a female and she would say, do this. And so I go do this. And then she's like, ah, we don't really need that. And I'm like, Are you, I just spent like 20 hours building this out. And she's like, yeah, no, we're not go ahead and do this. And so the level of her scatterbrainedness was, was overwhelming for me because I am calm. You know, it's like, just be direct. What do you need from me? And I'll get it from you. Even if you need me to read between the lines a little bit more, even if you say something, I need you to get from A to B and I'll say, Hey, it looks like I need to do C, D and E in between that. Are you comfortable? Right. And it was almost like she had no abilities to strategically think, but she had really good, big ideas and she could execute on those big ideas. And so I was actually called into meeting with her boss, which is super scandalous. <laughs> and he said, what do you think about her? And I said, look, my favorite Einstein quote is if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it's going to live its whole life thinking it's stupid. Okay. So you have these people that are in positions that I'm not saying she's not smart. She's incredibly smart. She is incredibly driven. This woman could get things across the line that no one else would. I mean, she drove a digital health company all the way to commercialization through a pharma company where legal literally shuts you down at every word. Okay. So she's amazing. But I said, you need to move her in a different position because she's not a leader. Now she can execute and she is going to be a great team member, but she is not a leader. And he said, okay. And then they fired her. So, yep. Yeah. So, hey, you know, being truthful might not always be the best way. Um, there was also some other things going on. I don't want to like say there was a, a little bit of financial um, secrecy. Mm -hmm. I don't, I was not privy to it. Right. So I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's this, this thought of IQ versus EQ and yeah. What do you think? Yeah, no, you're, you're right. It is. It's, you know, the emotional intelligence is, you know, a lot of people don't, um, don't have that, you know, it was, it was interesting when I was consulting, one of the things I learned and that's what I'm learning right now too. And it's what I, what, what you, what it's really hard to find are people who are analytical and super smart and can turn data into a story, if you will. But then also like grab a beer with you and have fun and be nice. And it's hard to find a mix of those people. And, um, and when you do, you got to keep them. Uh, and so, yeah, but, but you are, you are right. Um, the, the emotional intelligence piece for, for sure. And, you know, your story of saying that, you know, your boss's boss, you know, calls you in and says, Hey, what do you think of your boss? There's clearly a motivation behind that question. And what a not fair position to put me in. Um, no win situation. Yeah, because yeah. it was almost like they wanted to build a case against her. But again, I mean, it just goes to show that there is no loyalty in corporate America. There is no, we're not family. Okay. No one has your back. Right. I mean, this man, the boss's boss's boss is in our team meetings, telling everyone what a great job they did. And then having meetings with me on the side. No, that's, that's pretty shady actually. So, um, and I was the first one to say, Hey, I think, you know, anything that I'll say about this woman, I'll say in front of her face. And I had told her I had ended up having one-on-one -on -one conversations with her and almost coaching on her on how to be a better leader for us. And that's because I had no, hum I have no, I have humility. So I'm not sitting here trying to stab her in the back to get her position. To be honest, I didn't want her position. It was a mess. Um, I had enough space for her to not be perfect. Right. And I also liked her as a person enough to be like, Hey, I'm willing to help you keep in mind. She was 10 years older than me. She, you know, she was very successful. She got her freaking PhD at Oxford. I forgotten that I remembered. Okay. 
like this girl is this woman was incredibly smart and and she um was an immigrant okay grew up in a restaurant like she, she was an amazing intelligent person but the eq was not there and so we had right. conversations you know how could we how could i be a better leader and talking about that and yeah the reality is a lot of times with these companies they almost set you up to fail right they they and when i was in a position of management i would often think okay is this person failing or am i setting them up to fail right. because i'm setting them up to fail if i'm not being incredibly clear in my ask and if i don't understand my ask how do i expect them to understand their, their ask and the first thing that i would do is say it would be take accountability i'd say hey you know what when i told you to do this i didn't fully get the ask and i'm gonna, you're going to have to redo this part and i totally am aware that i should have told you that and right. I never see leaders taking accountability for what it's almost like there's no, hum, they don't have the ability to feel humility. Some of them don't or, or, or it's a, a job to them. Like who cares? Maybe, maybe you and I are, we're too emotionally attached to the, to the job and wanting to do the right thing and wanting to do well and wanting to make sure that people did well and cared about people's feelings. Maybe we care too much. I don't know. It's possible. You know, I think it's hard because we sell this idea that work is your life, right? And so the why wouldn't I take all of these aspects of how I live my everyday life and put them into work? If I walk down the street and I see someone struggling and my first thought is to go help them, why would I not then bring that into work? You know, I should not have to sit there and put on this metal armor to walk into my job. I should not have to be worried about constantly getting my nervous system releasing cortisol when I'm typing on a computer for a living, you would think we're out here doing brain surgery. Yeah, like, yeah. I assure yeah. you, I wasn't doing that. Okay. I've only seen one episode of Grey's Anatomy. I could never fake that. Um, okay. I have two more questions for you because yes. I know we're hitting right at the hour, but one of them was, can you share some of your coping mechanisms or strategies that helped you work through that last kind of corporate job you had? Yeah. And that's, I mean, Chrissy, that's a good question. I, I think. Uh, maybe if I had implemented those coping strategies, I'd still be there. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Um, you know, it was, it was, I mean, very similar to what you were saying. It was a, you know, put that body armor on, you know, it's, it's, it's try to try to be in the mindset. Of it. It's just a job and it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to, you know, to not necessarily fail, but it, it, you know, do your best, be who you are. Don't, don't, be somebody else. And the other, I guess, coping strategy that I had is I loved the people on my team. Like I had really good people on my team and I still keep in touch with them. And I have really good support system at home. And I'm really, really lucky. And so I think that was what helped me get through what I needed to get through. I love that. Um, and then just from a marriage perspective, how did your wife feel when you kind of decided to kind of quit that corporation? Well, it, 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 it wasn't my decision. It was, it was our decision. Right. And, and so, and, and I, I want to be very clear about that. She's, she's been so supportive. I mean, when I left my other job and I was there for 11 years and I worked my way up, um, we knew that this new job would require more travel. Um, it wouldn't be that much more money. So in retrospect, I should never have left my old job, <laughs> but, um, you know, who knows maybe, but, uh, and I, by the way, I wouldn't have left had I, if I were told I couldn't do real estate, but she, she and I talked at length about leaving my old job to go to this new job. And we talked at length about me leaving this job to focus on real estate full time and doing some consulting full time. Right. So that was a decision that we made. Um, together, you know, and if, if it was something where she had said, Scott, don't do it. You can't do this. We need this for our family. This, that would have been a different, it would have been a different story. And I would have had to find other coping mechanisms, but I was fortunate to have the support of, you know, of my wife. I talked to my parents a lot about it too. I uh, talked to friends and other family members. So it, it, to me, it wasn't a decision that I mean, yes, ultimately the decision was mine. You're right. But, uh, it was, it was a combined decision. And, um, I'll tell you my, my wife, uh, so if she watches this, you know, she's gonna, 
know, she's going to see how soft I am, but she's, I mean, no, but she, she like, she sends me in our generation, I guess we don't talk much, but she sends me like Instagram videos about like how proud she is of me, you know, from doing my own thing. And that motivates me a lot. And so uh, I think, I think, um, I think when it was the decision to, to leave, I had her full support. I love that. And even from our first conversation, I just love the way that you talk about her. Um, you can tell there's just such a genuine respect there. And um, I think highly list. of her. I'm, I'm, this, this I'm going to say for any time she gets mad at me. Yeah. We're actually just going to cut that section out for you so you can keep it on your phone. And then when just send it to her through Instagram. Oh, this is fantastic. This is, you know what? This is more for me now. This is, this is great. Okay. So my last question is going to be, um, if you could talk a little bit about what you do now. So I know that you're in real estate. So what's the name of the company? And then also just share a little bit about what you do on the consulting side in case anyone is interested in that, that listens. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah. So, um, so I do residential, uh, and, and commercial real estate. I have my own team. Uh, it's called Ottenheimer group. Cause I wasn't I didn't hire Chrissy. I didn't hire you to be creative and find a cool name. Uh, I wasn't that creative. Um, and so uh, we work for uh, a company that, called Baird & Warner, which is a big uh, Chicago real estate uh, independent brokerage. Um, and and we, help, uh, we help buyers, sellers, uh, and investors have uh, a team of three of us right now, uh, plus some uh, support staff. Um, and so that's that's what we're doing. That's that's my day job. And then on the side, uh, I've been doing some consulting uh, as it relates to uh, to vendor management and helping insurance carriers and helping uh, other organizations set up kind of a best in class uh, vendor management department where they're using data and analytics to figure out how their vendors are performing. Uh, you know, because I always say that it's not old price, new price. You know, you could you can you know cut costs and you could spend you know, very, very little, let's call it on a law firm, you know, you're being sued for a million bucks, spend $10,000 and lose, or you could spend $15,000 and win. Uh, and so it's about, uh, it's about setting up metrics to figure out how to evaluate your, your suppliers to make sure that they're performing well, um, as well as negotiating with new suppliers and teaching negotiation tactics and, and whatnot. And so um, it's very complimentary to, to, to real estate. So I'm doing both. Definitely. The consulting is actually a really good aspect. Working for for a company that has over 100,000 employees, I can't even imagine the level of just vendor agreements that pass through that no one looks at because it's sometimes you're just too big to even, there's so many mistakes that are made. And so, yeah, I'm assuming the cost savings is huge on that. And so definitely if anyone is interested. Um, so the next thing I'm going to ask you is where can people find you? So you, so where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Yeah, I think the best thing is to find me on LinkedIn or maybe in the comments, we could put my email address uh, and people can contact me directly through through email. But LinkedIn or email, um, I'm on 24-7. Uh, I don't post on TikTok, so <laughs> you probably won't find me on TikTok. But yes. he does have an Instagram account he's he's building, and so I, you want to go watch him. Um, these are he work. These are these are Scott's words. If you want to yes. watch him awkwardly walk through a house, it was my first my first video for uh, this one point five million dollar listing. We did a video, and I forgot to move my arms, and so now I'm like trying to like make sure I move my hands when I speak. That's so funny. Um, okay, well, I've had so much fun talking to you. Um, thank you so much for your time and. Is there anything else you would like to add on some closing remarks? Oh, that just keep going, Chrissy. Keep doing this. I think this is amazing. And I think when I saw you and I saw your your bio, I know it was on the, um, you know, it's like if you have a you know work trauma, feel free to contact me. And I think you mentioned like a woman in the workforce. And that's when I did some glorified stalking and I found you on uh, on, on LinkedIn. So you knew that I wasn't trying to spam you or anything. Uh, but I think that, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. I, this, this is real. This happens to both men and women. This isn't something that, you know, just affects women and men. Don't, don't be afraid to talk about it either. It's, it's okay. Uh, so just, just, just keep on, keep on doing what you're doing. So thank you for this.
Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you for joining us on this insightful journey with Scott. His story reminds us of the importance of integrity, resilience, and self-care in the face of workplace challenges. As we continue to explore ways to create safer and more supportive work environments, let us carry forward Scott's wisdom and lessons learned. Join us next time on Glass Ceilings as we continue to shatter barriers and build a community of empowerment and healing.